and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is Vanessa Colella, Citigroup's Chief Innovation Officer, Head of Productivity, and Head of City Ventures. City Ventures is Citigroup's corporate venture capital arm and has three main focuses exploring emerging trends in technology and financial services to investigate their potential use with their clients, incubating and launching new solutions that help people, businesses, and communities thrive, and investing in cutting-edge solutions that are shaping the future of financial services and positively impacting a changing world. Vanessa is focused on harnessing the power of city to help people, businesses, and communities thrive in a world of technological, behavioral, and societal change. Prior to her current roles, Vanessa ran marketing for City's North American Consumer Bank and was responsible for launching New York City's City Bikes. She joined City in 2010 from U.S. Venture Partners after having held senior roles at Yahoo and McKinsey. Vanessa received her master's degree from Columbia University and MIT, as well as a PhD from MIT's Media Lab. She holds a degree in molecular biology from MIT and currently serves as a member of the corporation's visiting committee for the Media Lab. And now let's listen to an enlightening and very interesting conversation with Vanessa Colella. Vanessa, thank you for joining us at the Wharton Fintech Podcast. We're very excited to have you here. Can we start by hearing a little bit about yourself and your personal background? Sure. Thanks, Miguel, for the invitation. I really appreciate it. I'll try and give you a quick journey myself. Um, I'm Chief Innovation Officer at City, and as part of that, I run City Ventures as well as City Productivity. But I got to financial services in a bit of a roundabout way. My first job out of college, I was part of the Charter Corps of Teach for America. And so as you might guess, I'm interested in sort of large-scale systemic change and was lucky enough to do a bunch of things after that. I taught for many years before going back to graduate school had a stint in consulting where I focused mostly on media. Um, so of course, I love the evolution of podcasts and uh, ultimately went to work at a tech company. I was at Yahoo for several years before I went into venture and then got recruited to City actually during the last financial crisis and uh, was really interested in how to think about transformation of a new sector to me. I hadn't worked in a bank before financial services. I've been really privileged to be at the company for a little bit more than the last 10 years. You certainly have a non-traditional background for a leader within any bank, not just City. How has this uh, benefited throughout your time at City? It's a really good question, Miguel. I mean, I, I always think, you know, there, there are two different ways to think about one's career. You can think about it as kind of a ladder, or you can think about it as a jungle gym. And if you're on a ladder, you might get to the top faster. But if you get to the top and figure out that you don't like it so much, it's a really long way down. <laughs> Whereas if you're in a jungle gym, there's sort of lots of different paths that you can take. And as I said before, I feel privileged that you know, I've been able to learn from many different roles. You know, teaching, if, if nothing else, you know, taught me you know, both about people's different experiences, particularly in the US, but also, you know, simple tactical things like how to manage a meeting, right? If you can manage 42 eighth graders, then you can manage a board. <laughs> so you know, I try always to, to pick up 
you know, not just sort of intellectual information, but also, you know, how do people behave in different settings and really bring that to bear. And so in my role at City, where I get to work with our consumer businesses, our institutional businesses, many of our, our external partners, our clients, I find that, you know, having that jungle gym of a breadth of experience has been really important for how I think about myself as a leader. And you've certainly had a number of roles within City. How do you think your initial roles prepared you for your current job? Yeah, so I mentioned, Miguel, that I came to City during the great financial crisis. Um, and I came actually as a, the head of marketing for North America. So I was working within our consumer business. And that was great because I'd never worked in banking before uh, in my professional career. And so I got to really know all the different consumer businesses, but also I got to understand, you know, how important it was to listen to our clients, listen to our customers and, and react to what they needed. I think, you know, many times in large organizations, you know, people talk about being client centric and, you know, living through that crisis, you know, you had to transition as a whole organization to being truly client-centric. And so that was really valuable. I sometimes say that, you know, all the, the work that my team did when I was running marketing, for those of you who are live in and around New York, the, the one thing that we did that will probably be remembered is launch City Bike. And, you know, at the time it was a pretty big departure for, for City but we wanted to do something coming out of that crisis that was really emblematic of giving back to the community and thinking about how important it is that we sit on the same side of the table as our customers, as our clients. So, you know, when I obviously can't travel to New York right now, but when I, when I frequently do, I think that serves as kind of a tangible reminder of how important it is to, you know, constantly be trying to innovate and, thinking about a really diverse set of needs that people have, you know, not, not in just a narrow way. And then post-marketing, I came back out to California where I've lived for 20 plus years and took over initially venture investing, which I still run, and then a number of other programs within the city ventures portfolio as well as the productivity portfolio. Yeah, certainly the city bike program has become a staple of the city and then anyone who lives here or has visited can clearly identify any city bike. I actually rode one myself today. So, Good. Uh, well, I, I hope it was helpful. Very much so. Thank you. Um, yeah. So going more in depth into the city ventures side, when you took over the organization, how did it look like at that time? And how has it evolved over the years? Sure. So I came to City Ventures, gosh, almost eight years ago now. Um, and it was still very early. It was founded in, in 2010. So it was still very early. And as all the listeners who are involved in venture capital know, right, the very first couple of years of any venture capital activity, it's, you're just in the, the crawling phase before you get to walking and running. And so I had the opportunity to really work with the investors who were already in the program to shape that program over time and to, to make it into something that, that would be not just, as we used to say, promising and interesting, but something that could be 
really powerful. And the way that we did that, Miguel, was we focused on two core tenants. Um, the first was just starting with ourselves. We said, you know, we have to hire people who have been venture capitalists. I think a lot of times, particularly in corporate venture capital, people get into it because they had some adjacent experience, like they worked in M&A or they worked in banking. And we said, you know, the venture capital is both an art and a science, and we really need to hire people who have experience. And the second tenant that we had was we need to put our entrepreneurs first. We are maniacally focused on helping our entrepreneurs scale their businesses efficiently and effectively. And, you know, sometimes when you work in a corporate setting, you know, the, the focus drifts between the portfolio companies and the parent company. And what we've found is this focus on both getting the right talent and then really helping our talent and entrepreneurs to grow their companies has resulted in a program that you know, we end up as city working with or commercializing the vast majority of our portfolio companies, but not because we think city first. We think how can city help? How can city help these entrepreneurs, these founders? And you know, in the end, that ends up being a win-win both for us, for our portfolio companies, and also for the clients that we mutually serve. Vanessa, I'm, I'm curious as to how did you develop your investing approach? Because if we look at the portfolio of City Ventures, some of your investments are obvious for a financial institution, right? But others, not so much, not as obvious, although I do understand that there's a very uh, thoughtful angle in every single one of your investments. Can you take us through this investment approach? Sure. So the first thing we did was we said, we have to invest in areas where city can in some way be helpful to entrepreneurs, right? We don't, we don't want anyone to take a check from us if it's really only the dollars. We want people to take a check from us if we think that there's something else about city that can be that can be helpful. Because again, you know, that's what's gonna enable these companies to really grow and flourish. So we looked at that and we said, okay, how do we think about focus areas? So to your point, Miguel, some of them are really obvious, like commerce and payments or fintech, right? You would imagine that a bank would be involved in those kinds of spaces. And we are. We are also involved in places like you know, data, right? Big data, when it used to be big data, now machine learning and AI, right? Because data is so core to the operation of a large financial institution that we know, you know, if companies are able to work with us and we're able to help them work on an enterprise level in the complex environment that we have, that that will, you know, assist these companies in working with lots of different kinds of organizations. Same thing is true with something like cybersecurity, right? You know, we, banks, you know, are, you know, have forever been entrusted with people's important assets, right? So we know that to maintain that safety and soundness, we need to be at the cutting edge of cybersecurity. So you see us involved in those areas, you know, also, you know, customer service, customer experience. How do we, in this digital age, do the best job of bringing you know, 208-year-old company to a place where it can remain, you know, at the forefront of providing a great customer experience. And then, of course, 
you know, we're always looking for the next thing as, as any venture capitalist does, which is, you know, as an example, you know, how do you think about how property is going to change, how prop tech is going to change the whole landscape of real estate. And so, you know, while we constantly evolve, we think about both client facing things that you might naturally associate with a bank, as well as more core infrastructure capabilities that are really instrumental in how we serve our clients. And do you have a sweet spot in terms of company stage? Sure. So we think most often, Miguel, about companies that have found product market fit. And the reason that we think that's important, I mentioned earlier that in our venture capital activity, we're trying to find companies that city can help. Very, very young companies that haven't found product market fit are likely to pivot until they find it. Um, and of course, you know, city isn't pivoting, right? So I sometimes say when you think about product market fit, we think about it in this way. You know, if we if we were to find a very early stage company that had not found product market fit, it might be the case that we evolve and grow together and we can still be helpful to that company over time. But it's a little bit like if you married the person that you were dating in the eighth grade. It's possible. It just isn't very likely because people change over time. So we try and find companies that have found that product market fit. Now, some companies find that very early. So we do have seed stage investments in the portfolio at City Ventures. Some companies find that later. And some companies, while they might find product market fit, the dynamics of the industry, if you take something like cyber, are such that they've also got to sort of find their fit within the competitive space. So we are stage agnostic, but we really do look for companies that have found that product market fit. And, and in that, we find that we're able to grow with our companies rather than pull them in a direction that's unnatural. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. How about your approach to talent? We, we've spoken to quite a number of venture capitalists on this podcast, and, and definitely finding the right team seems to be, in most cases, a determining factor of success. What's your opinion on this topic? So I think the team is the most important. And in fact, you know, it's part of what makes me lucky to have my, my role is that I get to find people who are, who are really amazing. And what I look for personally, Miguel, is, is four traits. First of all, I look for people who are curious. I think, you know, that constant curiosity about how is the world changing? What could we do differently? Uh, it's just really important. And particularly for, since we're talking about investing, for investors to connect with great entrepreneurs who have these same traits, right? Entrepreneurs are always thinking about why is it done this way? Why couldn't it be done that way? That's much better. So insatiable curiosity. We're very interested in what we call empathy, but really is can you not just intellectually, but can you completely put yourself in someone else's shoes? And the reason for that, if we took an investing lens to it, is that you know small companies, if they can't put themselves in their client's shoes, they will go out of business <laughs> because there's no safety net, right? They have to be able to grow their business by truly understanding what clients need. And so again, you know, people who are involved in innovation and investing will find the best ideas if they really think with that empathetic lens. Um, the third is diversity. 
obviously this is sort of the topic of the day in the US right now, as it very well should be. It's something that has been at the top of our list for a very long time. And we think about it along a number of different axes, both you know, race and gender, and also experience. Um, you know, there's all sorts of academic literature about how diverse teams that are comprised of people who bring different personal experiences, different professional expertise to the table, make better decisions. And at City broadly and within City Ventures, that's how we think about it. And then last, bravery. I'm, I'm very interested in people who think boldly, but not just to think about it, but to actually carry it through to execution. And to do that, you have to be brave. Some people think bravery is, is really about you know, the entrepreneurs, but you have to be equally brave to try and drive change and bring the future to today within a large organization. So my top four, curiosity, empathy, diversity, and bravery in any role that I hire for. I certainly remember my time at City as being in one of the most diverse environments possible. This is, sounds like this is an approach for your portfolio companies as well as for your own team. Can you tell us a little bit about the City Ventures team? How big is it? How many verticals does it have? Sure. So within City Ventures, as I mentioned before, we do a number of different things. Um, we run our venture capital and equity investing for the firm around the globe. And that team is just probably shy of 20. City Ventures overall is probably about 70 or 80 people. I, the reason I say probably is I'll get to in a minute. We, we're deeply embedded within city. And so we're constantly working to bring people to rotate in from the company. But to get back to your question, you know, we run investing. We also run an internal incubator uh, that we call D10X. It stands for discovering exponentially better solutions for our clients. And it really was born out of the insight that, you know, while entrepreneurs have great ideas about how to change the world, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of employees at City who have great ideas about what could change as well. They just don't work in the same environment as a startup. So what if we could create an environment in which they could experiment with things on a risk-free basis? in order to launch new products and features uh, to our clients. We can talk more about that. And then we run a team called The Studio, which is really trying to push the boundaries of what does it mean to be a financial institution and what could we offer to people, to businesses, to communities that would create economic value, would drive economic progress. And, and the studio does everything from run our Cupid program, which is our city university's internship program that really partners with you know, well over 70 universities around the world to bring people into financial services who might never have thought about going into banking because who knew what bankers did <laughs> to you know, our other academic partnerships, to our emerging technology team that thinks about future technology and how that could shift the landscape for financial services. And then also the, the studio team releases, uh, releases products uh, into market, which we can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Would love to hear a little bit more about the D10X program and maybe hear some examples of successful case study come out of it. Sure. So we started D10X um, coming up on five years ago, as I said, as a way for 
our employees to participate in driving change for our clients. Um, as an added benefit of starting D10X, we also get to hire former entrepreneurs to be coaches for our employees. So we've now had several dozen former entrepreneurs work with City and help coach people who've never been in a startup type environment on everything from how do you pitch, because we hold pitch days all the time, to how do you think about you know, building wireframes? How do you build an MVP? How do you test it in market? And we've, we've had all sorts of different, different kinds of successes within, you know, within D10X. You know, a couple that people might have heard of, we recently spun out a, an entity from City called Proximity, which is an idea that came from um, two gentlemen in our custody business who'd had combined over 20 years of experience at City and realized the importance of corporate governance and the challenge that Corporate governance is actually very opaque. It's not real time. It's hard for companies to act on shareholder desires in real time. And if we could create a near real time system to connect shareholders to companies, to enable voting, to enable that kind of communication, we'd be in a much stronger position. And of course, this idea started years ago, long before, long before the circumstances that we're in today, but we think that's really important. So everything from spin-outs to new features and functionality that you might see in the consumer business. We've been really, really excited to launch things from proximity to things like, like Beacon, which is really helping people to change behavior around spending and saving and, and you know, get people in a better position from a financial point of view. That's fascinating. Now, Vanessa, let's talk a little bit about your portfolio, particularly of fintech companies. We're going through, obviously, a major crisis and an event that has affected every single company out there. How do you see it affect your portfolio companies? How has it affected them over the last few months? And also, going forward, what do you envision for the road ahead? Yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a great question, Miguel, and I think it's really important. Um, you know, obviously, we're living through a time of uncertainty for everyone. You know, typically, entrepreneurs live with their own amount of uncertainty as they're trying to grow their companies and gain market share and, and build new products. And clearly, the, the sort of triple whammy of a, you know, a global health pandemic, an economic crisis, and you know a racial crisis that has been ongoing, but has now really come to the front and center of everyone's attention. I think all those things have made for an incredibly turbulent time for all startups, um, and not just our portfolio. And I think you know this is the time when when you know leadership is so important. Someone who can lead a team, you know, maintain confidence understand how the environment is shifting. And, and I think it's important to remember that, that it's not just the entrepreneurs who need to be leaders in times like this, it's the venture capitalists as well, right? So, you know, people often talk about, gee, do you have an experienced entrepreneur? Have they been through something before? Obviously, none of us have ever been through anything exactly like we're living through today. You and I are talking over Zoom today, which we probably wouldn't be normally. But I think that leadership, both from an entrepreneurial perspective and from a venture capitalist perspective, you know, not to knee jerk into, oh my gosh, no, you need to pivot this way or do this is really important. 
And then just making sure that to the extent that you can create stability for the portfolio companies, I think that's important as well. You know, we obviously, like every venture firm, immediately started to look at, you know, where were our companies in terms of cash runway, as well as, you know, management experience, venture capital experience around the table. And as we talked about earlier, you know, we invest in a very diverse set of, of industries. We invest in, in e-commerce type marketplaces, right? So we, one of our companies, Zoom, a female founded company that we're really excited about is all about making the transportation to school more efficient and less costly for school districts. Well, we said, well, gosh, what, what does that mean in an era when every student has been sent home and is, is learning online right now? Um, and actually, you know, they're being managed incredibly well. But I think that combination of experience at the table, trying to solidify companies and make sure they've got the runway to prove out their ideas, and then understanding that companies, just like established companies, are going to be impacted by these crises differently depending on their sector. That's going to be true of any portfolio as well. And so making sure that we put our attention to the places that we thought might be in need of, of the most assistance. I mean, it's it's a great time to have a diversified portfolio mix, for sure. A lot of these effects are definitely affecting everyone in the, in the short term. What are some of the permanent long-term effects that you think are here to stay based on this crisis? You know, I think it's always difficult because it's, you know, we say at City Ventures all the time, people over-index on technology changes in the world. We look for places where there's technology change, behavior change, and some kind of structural change, because that's most often where there's the most opportunity for things to take root, right? Take video conferencing, right? It existed before this crisis, but now even my 82-year-old father knows how to use it because that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Um, I think that you know, the long-term changes will be predominantly driven by behavior and ensuing structural changes as opposed to technological advances. And, you know, for those are just, those are the hardest to predict, right? Techno technological changes tend to happen in a relatively predictable fashion. You don't always know what the uses of that technology will be, and that might be unpredictable, but behavior in particular, people's behavior is harder to predict. I do think that the sustained nature, particularly of the, of the health crisis, will mean that some behavior changes are likely to stick, right? People are trying to get you to develop better habits like eat well or exercise more, or say something like you have to do something for 28 days before it really sticks with you. Well, this has been a lot more than 28 days. And so I think when you look at, at certain industries, whether you look at travel and entertainment, those kinds of spaces, you know, I think it will be a very, very long time before we go back to the way it was. Having said that, this is an outstanding time to be an entrepreneur, to have those characteristics that we talked about before, because it's when, it's when everything is changing that you are most likely to have success in sort of upending the old structure, right? So if you have, a, if you have an outlandish idea about changing the world, when everything is stable, 
it's very difficult, even if that idea happens to be amazing, to get it to take root. But it's times like this that, that people who think boldly, people who think differently, are actually able to get their ideas into the system much more effectively. And so I actually, I have a lot of long-term optimism about both the health issues, the economic issues, and the racial issues. And staying on the fintech industry, I know that you have a very diversified portfolio, but are there any particular verticals that you are most excited about that you and the CD Ventures team are, are keep an eye on for the future? Yeah, I mean, yes, we are diversified. We, we look a lot in fintech, particularly consumer-facing fintech, for how do we find companies that meet the core needs that people have. You know, I've often said, you know, today we're already living in 2025. It's not that people's needs have changed, it's that they've been accelerated. Um, and so whether that's, you know, an investment like Betterment that we've been in for many, many years uh, because we were really interested in understanding how to democratize access to the tools to build wealth, right? We said long ago, you know, that wealth advising and the ability to make great decisions about your own money um, that cannot be limited to one segment of the population that has to be available in a much more broad-based way. And so, you know, we've been, been in companies um, such as Betterment for a long time to thinking, you know, fast forward quite a bit. I mentioned PropTech. We're really excited about um, companies like Unison, which, which are looking to say, man, making that down payment, I just, I can't get my sights around when I'm going to be able to do that. So what if I could share in both the risk and reward of ownership of a property, and that would enable me to get into a property that I can raise a family in, et cetera. So I think it's impossible to pick out you know, only a few fintech companies in one's portfolio because it's like picking amongst your children. But we, we think fintech itself, right? It's, it's comprised of so many different slices. And, and again, now, now is the time those companies that have you know, amazing ideas about how to help drive economic progress for individuals, for communities, I, I think we'll really see a lot of upside, a lot of runway over the coming years. You certainly co-invest with a, a lot of the top VCs in the industry, but clearly there's a difference that you are a corporate VC and many of these companies are venture capital only. What are the main differences between a, a CVC and a VC? So in my opinion, Miguel, there are many more similarities than there are differences. But, uh, but to answer your question directly, you know, a CVC brings different kinds of assets than a venture capital firm, an independent venture capital firm. And so we've tried to do two things. One, we've tried to hire in, you know, expert, talented venture capitalists who understand how to work with institutional venture firms because we absolutely want to partner with them. And we feel like that means we have to, we talked about empathy and understanding before, we have to understand you know, how they're thinking about growing companies and driving financial returns, et cetera, in order to be good partners to them. 
And then we also want to make sure that we communicate both to entrepreneurs and to other venture capital firms our track record and what value we add in terms of working with our portfolio companies. Because we can obviously do that, and it's the biggest difference between a CVC and a VC. We can do that in a very different way. Whether you think about you know, a company like High Radius, you know, we're investors. Um, we also work with them. They power products like Smart Match from City, and they are bringing value to our clients. And, and by partnering with us, they obviously then get access to a much wider distribution network than they would have on their own. And so what we've always tried to do is, you know, hire in great talent that understands the different types of venture capital institutions that there are, and then be very clear about what we do, how we try and assist, you know, what we don't do. We don't, you know, we don't require that a company work with City right away. Many of our companies are still too nascent to work with a company of our scale and breadth. And so we wait and we see and we help them figure out if and when it might be something that's worthwhile to them. And then we just you know, believe that ultimately one's track record speaks for, speaks for itself. And, and we think that the marriage, you know, healthy marriage between institutional venture capital and corporate venture capital can really propel you know, portfolio companies in a way that, you know, when I came to the Valley 20 plus years ago, it wasn't the case, right? Corporate venture then was really mezzanine rounds before an M&A transaction. It's very, very different today. And, and we want to play a small part in, in continuing to bring those differences to light in a way that, that helps entrepreneurs. Got it. We haven't had a lot of time to talk about your second role at City, which is uh, productivity head. Can you tell us a little bit more about that role? Sure. Um, so I just became head of uh, productivity at City a couple months ago. When I was asked about the role, the reason that I thought it was so amazing is that, you know, within City Ventures, we we focus a lot on both bringing the outside in, whether through the portfolios we've talked about uh, or new emerging technologies or academic centers. And then we focus a lot on how can we make the city experience better for our clients. And of course, at City, you know, we employ over 200,000 people. And to me, productivity is a lot about how do we make the experience for our employees more efficient, more effective? You know, how do we grow our employees' ability to contribute in much the same way that we might help an entrepreneur grow their company. So um, it's very early days. I appreciate you asking, but I'm, I'm really excited about how it is that we can make the employee experience that much better at City. Sounds like City can learn a thing or two from your portfolio companies in City Ventures. Well, we, we try and learn from all the different contexts that we have and all the different types of work that we do. It's what helps us identify trends, you know, hopefully usually on the, on the front end and helps us shape you know, what we can do as a bank. Absolutely. And what about the road ahead? How do you envision the next few years for City and uh, for your contributions within the company? Yeah, yeah. I sometimes say if I had a crystal ball, I might be 
in a different job. I don't have a crystal ball, um, but I do think that the time period that we are all in today makes me incredibly optimistic for the road ahead. We talked before about, you know, how can a bank think about driving economic progress for people, for businesses, for communities? You know, just in the last six months, we've launched two different platforms, one called Worthy, which is all about helping people understand not just the job they have. Most of us identify with our job, but the challenge with that is jobs are not very transferable. Skills are. So how do you identify what skills you have and then how you might be able to put those skills to use in the location where you live to earn more money? And we always thought that was really important because there's $1.6 trillion worth of student debt in the U.S. that says that people are trying to reskill, to upskill, but not necessarily with good clarity about how those skills can contribute to their ability to generate income. And it may be the case that if I went and learned Python, I could get a raise, but if you learned Python, maybe you couldn't, or vice versa, right? Because it's a very personal thing. So Worthy takes a massive amount of data and allows you to go on and sort of personally explore based upon what I know today, how can I generate income? And of course, if you think about the economic dislocation, not just in the US, but around the world, you know, we could never have imagined the importance of something like that when we first conceived it. It's those kinds of things that give me great hope that, you know, as you think about financial institutions, as you think about sort of the road to recovery, there will be lots of opportunity to regenerate, to think differently about, uh, about you know, how we work together. And so I, I, have, I have a lot of optimism for the road ahead. Fantastic. Well, before we go, Vanessa, we always like to ask about some of your personal hobbies and how you spend your time outside of city. Well, let's see. Personal hobbies. I'm a jogger. People, people, if they handed you my bio, would say I'm a runner, but that's not true. Jogging is about my speed. But you know, whether you think about shelter in place or my old life where I used to travel all the time, um, getting out is important to me. And I have a young son, so I try and spend a lot of time with him. Sadly for me, Miguel, I have lost every negotiation with my young son over the course of the pandemic. And so coming up in just a short time, I will be the proud owner of a new puppy, which is the latest negotiation I have lost. So hopefully that will not uh, carry over to my professional existence at all. But uh, I think we've all, I think, tried to figure out creative ways to get out in a safe way, to connect with people in a safe way. And, And I've been lucky enough to be able to continue to do that. Well, good luck with the new family member. Thank you. (laughs) Well, Vanessa, this has been a treat. I have no doubt our listeners will very much enjoy this conversation, and we are extremely grateful for you joining us. Well, thank you, Miguel. I appreciate the invitation, and I know you have an amazing group of listeners, and I hope that all of them really bring their ideas forward, bring them to market. This is a time that the world needs great ideas and you've got such a great audience that we welcome hearing from. Thank you, Vanessa. Take care. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. 
If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.